Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well-being. And on today's episode, we are having on Chriselle Lim. She is the founder of Fleur and a brand that I am obsessed with. And I know a lot of other people are obsessed with as well. If you can tell anything by the TikTok algorithm and also Mind Body Green's staff. So I can't wait to chat with her just about the world of fragrance and her work in general and just the ways that she's been able to capture the zeitgeist in just this really fascinating way. So So without further ado, welcome. Thank you so much. I am super excited to be here as I'm a big fan of what you guys have done in the beauty space. So super excited. Well, you know, I I always love to start these episodes by letting the audience get to know you a little bit better. I assume that a lot of our listeners kind of know a little bit about you and your backstory, but why don't we just, uh, you know, hear a little bit more about your story in your own words, just so we can all get on the same uh, playing field here. You know, what is your background and what was your journey into, you know, the beauty and fashion space? Sure. So my name is Chriselle Lim, and I think a lot of people have first discovered me as a fashion blogger. Um, Back when fashion blogging was a thing, probably 13 years ago, I was in college. I started a little fashion blog in my dorm room. Um, thinking nothing of it, just a way to document my outfits. And that was when fashion blogs were just starting to kind of hit, um, I guess, the internet and people were interested in it. They found it fascinating. And so one thing led to another. After that, I started my YouTube channel. That really took off as back then there was really no one at my age. And I was young back then. But if you can imagine the people that were uploading YouTube content on YouTube back then, they were like 13-year-old kids. So I was like in my early 20s talking about, you know, how to look more expensive and how to buy things on a budget. And that content was so fresh and new on YouTube at the time, about 13 years ago. And I think that's that was really kind of my start in this digital career um, as a fashion st- as a fashion student in college. And I've been doing content creation for 13 years, still doing that. Um, but my full-time work now is also with my company, Fleur. And so that's kind of me in a nutshell of how it all started for me. Yeah, you know, I mean, you started back when uh, it was really just beginning. And we had no idea that the social media and content creation landscape would look anything like it does today. I mean, did you foresee that when you started this blog that it was going to, you know, be able to catapult yourself into honestly, like kind of this megasphere of like social media content creation? I mean, it's uh, 13 years ago, no one could have known, right? No, it was a wild, wild west back then. And, you know, you know, back then brands didn't even really take content creators very seriously. And they would kind of kind of laugh at us. I remember being invited to my very first fashion week and I could barely get into my very first show because no one took us seriously. Right. And and I, I remember specifically at this one fashion show where a brand, it was Ralph Lauren, who sat five of us, it was myself, Brian Boy, Amisong, Sincerely Jules, kind of 
the the five of us that really started in this blogosphere in the front row of Ralph Lauren. And there was a huge article. I, I forgot which media platform it was, but just talking so horribly about, you know, why would a brand do this? Why would they replace editors with bloggers? Which I understand at the time it was brand new. No one knew what was going on. But that that just shows you how much progress we have made. You know, our opinions as a young generation um, matters. I think back then it really was about hearing from the top down, like what all the experts had to say. But now it's really about the people, right? The real people. And so I think we made so much progress. And I'm very, very proud to be one of the very first um, to be able to kind of pioneer that. So, you know, this is a beauty podcast. And so I, I like to ask this question because people who find themselves in the beauty space, they often, they look back and they can pinpoint formative memories or moments on their journey that really pushed them into a, you know, a beauty career like yourself. Can you think of anything that uh, really shaped your relationship with beauty? Yeah, it was definitely in, I would say middle school, maybe towards about seventh to eighth grade. Um, I grew up in a very small town called Danville up in Northern California. Not many people know about Danville. And I was probably one out of five Asian girls um, back in my school. And I always felt very insecure about looking so different. Obviously, now I've embraced my culture and, you know, my eyes and all the things that I used to feel so insecure about. Um, but I remember specifically during those times, I relied so heavily on beauty products, makeup, fashion to make me feel like I wasn't myself, which sounds really bad, but back then it was kind of my armor. Like it allowed me to, to act like I was confident, even though I wasn't inside. And it got me through my middle school and high school years. And I think a lot of people can say, I would have never guessed that you were insecure about yourself because you always had the coolest outfits or you always had like great makeup. And that's the only way I was able to actually feel like I could fit in and blend in because I, I just looked so different than all of my peers. And so I think my obsession with fashion and beauty really started in middle school. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's fascinating how we use beauty can change over time. Um, and, you know, you used it as at this point in your life, you know, you used it as um, a crutch almost, but then, you know, now you look at you and you can see that you use beauty as this tool of like really beautiful self-expression. I mean, you, you look at the fragrances that you create and they really are just like this beautiful extension of you that speaks to other people. I mean, we're going to get into your creative process with fragrances in a, in a second. So I can't wait to learn about that. Um, but I quickly want to ask, what is your beauty philosophy? Do you have a philosophy that you kind of live by? I don't have necessarily one beauty philosophy. I think I just kind of pick up things as I go. But I think my overall kind of experience with beauty is that not one size fits all, uh, especially because coming from a predominantly Caucasian neighborhood and school and girls like being like, oh, you should try this, you should try that. It never worked for me. And so I've always been on this journey of finding things that work for me, even though 
you know, people might not know about it or might not work for them. So I always say one size does not fit all. And also just mix it up. You know, it's not about just the price tags of things. The more expensive something is, the better it is. It's really about understanding what works for you um, and mixing high and lows. I love mixing a good luxe face cream with like a drugstore product that works efficiently for my skin as well. And it's just understanding again, what works for you. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, and it's, it really comes back to like self-knowledge and, you know, getting to know yourself and your wants and your needs and then acknowledging those. So I think that's interesting because that really does speak to your journey in a really fascinating way. Let's talk fragrance. You have, you know, like I said, uh, a few times in this episode, you've created something that really speaks to a lot of people. And um, certainly, you know, I am such a fan of your fragrances. I, I'm curious because you are somebody who is clearly a very creative person who has a lot of passions. So why fragrance? Like, why did you go after fragrance as, you know, the the company that you wanted to yeah, put your efforts into because um, you could have done so many different avenues. First of all, I never identified as a fragrance girl. So the fact that I, I own a fragrance company um, was definitely not part of my roadmap. I'm a serial kind of like planner. So I have like a one year, a, a six month plan, a one year plan, a five year plan, a 10 year plan. Like I, I just love to plan kind of generally how I would like my life to look like and owning a fragrance company was definitely not part of that journey. Um, I did wear fragrance every single day. So I always relied on fragrance. I have always appreciated fragrance, but I more so identified as a fashion girl or a beauty girl, um, skin girl versus fragrance. And so when I got the opportunity to acquire Fleur with my business partner, Fleur was, it was an existing brand before we actually relaunched it. Um, some people don't know about that. I was going through the hardest period in my life personally, and I was going through a divorce, a separation. And again, that was not part of my roadmap. And as I was talking to my business partner about potentially coming on board to acquire Fleur with him. There were just so many similarities between myself and Fleur. We were both going through kind of a rebirth in our life. Um, we, we were both trying to find our place in this world. And I just felt this connection with Fleur when I, I started hearing my business partner talk about it. And so I thought, you know, I love fragrances, even though this was not part of the plan why not? Like, if anything, if it doesn't work out, it would be a great experience for me. It would, I would have learned so, so much from the top perfumers of the world. Um, and so because I was going through such a hard time, I was just like, what do I have to lose? I lost so much already that I didn't think I was going to lose anyway. So I was like, let's just go for it. And so I came on board with Ben, um, and it's been a wild ride because I think we are really redefining of how fine fragrances is not just being advertised and marketed, but also being sold. Um, and it's been quite effective. So, yeah, it, it's been... Yeah, elaborate on that point a little bit more. Like, in what ways are you redefining it? And, like, what did you see in the fragrance industry that you wanted to change? 
Well, I think traditionally with fragrance, it's it has always been about this fantasy, right?、Um, it's all about being unattainable, creating this kind of false illusion of what a fantasy life could look like. We've all seen those Kara Knightley ads, the Natalie Portman ads for Dior, just running through the field with your lover. Amalfi Coast for light blue Dolce and Gabbana, like we we remember those ads, right? And I think for a while that type of advertisement worked, but these are not real stories, right? And so one, we didn't have the budget to do that. You know, we're technically a startup, so we're like we don't have a, a budget to hire a Kara Knightley or Natalie Portman, and two, we don't have budget to like film this in Amalfi Coast,、um, so. But then, two, for me, because I was joining Fleur, I was acquiring Fleur in such an emotional place in my life. I could not really wrap my head around anything else but my own personal emotions and feelings. And so, I just said, "Why don't we just kind of base the first few fragrances with what I'm currently going through? Because I'm sure if I'm going through it, someone else is going through it." And not that we knew that that was. Gonna work, but we took a risk、um, because the first fragrance that we launched、um, is called Missing Person, and that's the one that really put Fleur on the map.、Um, it had a two hundred thousand person waitlist immediately right when we launched. It went super viral on the internet, probably one of the most viral fragrances in history, and. It was. I mean, I have a bottle, and like people are like, "You have one?" <laughs> yeah, it was hard to get your hands on at the time. Um, but I think it was really because we were sharing real stories, real emotions. But it's not just what I was going through. Yes, I was telling my personal stories, but people were able to see themselves and their own stories through my emotion. Because even though our own stories are different, these emotional these emotions are all universally shared. You know, the emotion of heartbreak, of missing someone. Of joy, of wanting to feel sexy and attractive when you don't feel sexy and attractive and confident, and these are just stories that I was pouring through these campaigns for each fragrance with each launch, and I think that was the biggest difference. Is that it's not like we are trying to elevate the brand more than what it was. It was just telling, being real, and people were sobbing. As they were spraying missing person on the internet, talking about their own stories, and so it allowed people to really share stories. And even though it is first and foremost a beautiful fragrance, I think too it allowed people to kind of share their own experiences. And I think that is what really put missing person、um, how missing person went viral is that it became therapy for people. It allowed people to feel seen and heard and、um, be accepted for their heartbreaks. Yeah, I one thing that I always love so much about the act of beauty rituals, such as applying a fragrance,、um, is it really can be this means of connection.、Um, and beauty itself is, you know, a really fabulous connector in this way. And I think fragrance in particular 
has a really, really unique um, way of doing that just by the nature of how, how, how we smell things and how fragrance interacts with the brain. And that's all to say that there is like, there's something real and tangible there in that fragrance allows for this like universal connection and this shared experience. Um, And I think it also speaks to something that is, that resonates particularly well with Gen Z and millennials. And that is that Gen Z and millennials are really redefining how fragrance is consumed and worn and interacted with. Um, So, you know, I'm curious because like Fleur has done so well, particularly with that demographic. What are the ways in which, you know, you, your, your brand ethos and your brand mission of creating, you know, these beautiful fragrance out of memories, like, why do you think that connects so deeply with those generations in particular? Like, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from folks? Yeah. So I think we check off a few boxes. Again, there's no, you know, again, if I was able to share with you how we were able to go viral specifically from point A to point Z, like I, I would do that. And I think everyone would want to know, but we, we truly don't know exactly how to go viral, but I think we do check a lot of these boxes off that the the new generation, the Gen Z generation and the next generation really care about. And one is that it's mindful, right? And so Fleur has always been, quote unquote, a clean brand, but we decide to actually take the, the word clean out just because it's not regulated. You know, some people may think one, pro, one um, I guess, ingredient is cleaner than the other. So we don't use that word, but it's mindfully formulated with ingredients and we're very transparent, which I think people do care about. The 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 next generation of shoppers do care about. And we are sustainable at the same time. Um, and those are things that people the gen, this generation actually do care about. And it's responsibly sourced. And we also, at the same time, work with the best-in-class perfumers of the world. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of people associate that if it's a fine fragrance brand, that it's going to hit a very high price point. But we are not a high price point in comparison to kind of our competitors that also use fine fragrance perfumers. Um, And so we want to make sure that it is affordable for the younger generation as well. It doesn't mean that it's less luxe. You know, it's the same ingredients, the same perfumers that create Byredo and Santal, Le Labo. And so I think the price point is also there as well. And the um, sustainability side and also the connection. I think connection is probably the most important part when you're trying to sell fragrance online. And I think this is where traditional advertisers, they, what they used to do is not necessarily as, I'm not saying it's not working anymore, but it's not as effective because one of our mottos that we actually have ingrained on each fragrance um, box that you receive, it says our fragrances are inspired by memories moments, experiences, and feelings, those that are intimately personal and universally shared. 
So I think through each fragrance, that is our mission is to really just tell our real stories and feelings. And through that, people are able to see themselves in each fragrance. Um, some people see themselves in missing person. Others people see themselves in not your baby. Some people see themselves in apricot pre-babe because there's a story and a messaging behind each fragrance. And it's, it's a, an emotional connectivity that, uh, that they have um, through these fragrances. Yeah, that brings up another point that I wanted to talk about, which is, um, you know, I think in the past, uh, we were we were so encouraged uh, to find your signature scent. Uh, that was how fragrance was pretty generally marketed and talked about. Um, and now, you know, you see, especially with these younger generations, uh, creating a fragrance wardrobe and using fragrance as um, a way to, you know, express yourself and um, using fragrance as an anchor for memories, you know, to your point. And I think it is this really exciting way to use fragrance in your life. And, you know, I, and it speaks to very much what you guys are doing. And so, you know, I'm curious, like, where do you see fragrance evolving from here? Like, is there still a place for signature scents? Or do you think that we are forever in this world of, you know, it's, it's about mixing and matching. It's about creating a wardrobe. Like, how do you think that the world of fragrance is going to evolve from here? Yeah, so I view fragrance very much like my own fashion philosophy, fashion wardrobe, because I am a fashion girl. Um, some people may have a signature outfit that they are wearing all the time, like I don't know. I'm sure you could think of celebrity that like has that one hat that it's like their thing. That's what they wear all the time or like that, you know, their glasses or whatever that is. But for the most part, I think generally people switch it up. Um, there might be pieces that they wear more and often than not, but for the most part, they mix and match. They switch it up dependent on their mood or where they're going and fragrance is exactly the same. I think it was a fragrance industry that really sold us on that we had to have a signature scent. And I think you could really see that in the previous generation or even in my generation of how to buy fragrance, right? Um, but that was all really marketing back then, right? That was how people were marketing you to buy that one scent for life and be kind of that loyal customer. Look, we're in a place, we're in, we're in a space in a world where there's so many good options and good choices. And so why would you have to stick to one when you have multiple of amazing options? And so, yes, I believe in having a scent that you is kind of like your go-to, like if you're in your hurry and you're like, oh, I'm just going to grab this because this is how, what I usually spray but I wouldn't call it your signature scent. I would call that kind of your most worn fragrance. Um, but I think having a, uh, a fragrance wardrobe is just the future is the now really of how this generation and the next generation will continue to wear fragrance. It's a, it's a, it's the cherry on top to your outfit. So if you're going to work and you're like, I want to look professional, okay, what can you spray that will make you feel more confident or make you feel strong and just powerful? That's one. Another day, maybe you are 
in a hurry and you had no time to get ready, but you want to feel cute and sexy, what, what is that one fragrance that you could just grab and all of a sudden you just feel like you, you, you feel attractive uh, for the day? And so it just depends on what you're doing, how you want to feel and where you're going. And so, yeah, I think it's changed a lot. I want to ask you about your creative process uh, in creating these fragrances. I mean, does it start with a an emotion or a memory or do you do you get samples and you see what inspires you? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of back and forth, but I'm just I'm so curious about the creative process um, that you implement with these. I am happy to share that there is no one creative process for us. Um, I wish it was a little easier than how we do it because usually every fragrance, it kind of takes us on a different journey. Um, but for the most part, I usually have an idea or an emotion that I want to capture within a bottle that I want to express to the world. And then we will go to a perfumer that we love or that we trust or a fragrance house that we know that we've been working with for a while and share kind of how we want it to feel like because for me I'm not a fragrance expert I'm not a chemist but I know how I want something to smell like or how I want to feel so sometimes it's a matter of going to the fragrance house or the perfumer and saying okay, it needs to, I want it to smell like X, Y, and Z. I want it to feel soft and pretty, but also like end it with something that's a little bit stronger when it dries down. What, what can you guys create? I want a happy scent or I want something that feels very nostalgic or people will feel warm and cozy. And so a lot of times it's just words and descriptions and emotions. And then they'll send us kind of a few samples and some, a lot of times it's a lot of back and forth of like, I like this, but I don't like this. And back and forth, like way too many times. <laughs> when is the, what's the most amount of rounds that you have done from back and forth? Have you counted? Um, the ones that took a very long time. I mean, I've lost count. I, I would say over like, I don't know, 30 times. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're very specific down to science and we, we have to wear it like all day and not just all day, all week to like really understand how it sits on the skin and not just my skin, but everyone's skin here at the office. Just so we, it, because everyone has different skin texture, skin tones, blood level, like everything. Right. So we have to consider all of that. And then we send in our notes. So that's one way. Another way is because we've worked with some of the best of the best perfumers, um, sometimes they'll pitch us and be like, I just created something amazing and I think it'll be perfect for Fleur. Um, I want to send, send you a sample. And there has been a few times where we would receive something and we're like, oh my God, how do we include this in? This is incredible. And so there's a lot of different ways that we collaborate with these perfumers and these fragrance houses. And there's really no one creative process. Sometimes we, I'm just like, I need to see these people in person. So we'll go out to New York or wherever we need to go to see these people. And, and we'll have like a brainstorming session and we'll just go back and forth. And so it just really, really depends. I love hearing about people's creative processes, especially as somebody like yourself who is fairly creative. And it is so interesting that no one journey 
is the same as the next in all of these. That's the only constant is that there's no one way. There's no one journey. That's the only constant. Honestly, it makes me feel better though, because sometimes I'm like, God, I should be more regimented in this one aspect, but it's, it's impossible to be. I mean, of course you need structures and of course you need, um, you know, to-do lists and all of the things that we keep ourselves organized with. But at the end of the day, at some point, you just have to let things, you know, go outside of your boundaries a little bit. I mean, I think that's, that's a hard thing about being a creative is that when a creative and running a business at the same time, right? Because in order to create something magical and unique and different, something that has never been on the market or been done before, you have to kind of let yourself go and let yourself just be. And I think that's the biggest lesson because for me, I, I am very much, I identify with creating plans and structure but I'm also equally as much of a creative. And for a while, I was like, how come I cannot wrap my head around like planning for these things? Like, how come I can't get myself more organized? Because on the other side of my business, I'm so organized. But it's because when you're in your creative zone, you just have to let go. And the good ideas will come to you at the most unexpected times. And that's what I've learned is that you just have to, you have to plan, obviously, as a business owner. But then you also have to have room to make errors and take risks and do things that you usually won't do. And that's when usually the best products and best ideas come from. Yeah. Honestly, that's just good life advice too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that transparency is very important to you, as is, you know, sustainability, um, as is using high quality ingredients. Um, and that's something that's very important to us at My Body Green and something that we take into account, you know, when we um, look into products that we want to recommend. Um, I, I think you and I share a lot of overlap in opinions about fragrance ingredients in particular. Um, you know, you on the website, you know, I see that you use a lot of safe synthetics. And I think in the clean world or in the natural world or whatever world that we live in, a lot of times you will hear a lot of arguments come up either for or against synthetic ingredients. And some people are staunchly in the camp of natural. Some people are staunchly in the camp of synthetic. And, you know, I very much live in the world of there's uh, benefits to both. And it's about, you know, um, using this mindfully. So I'm curious, you know, what is your approach with um, ingredient selection? And, you know, when do you decide that something is uh, quality enough to be considered an ingredient for you? And, you know, what is your definition of safe synthetic? Um, and when do you decide that the natural version is better? Do you, you know, how do you work through that? I think this is something that we really believe strongly about because I think a lot of people have this misconception of if you're a clean brand, then you only use natural ingredients. And that's actually not true. And there are actually certain ingredients that are natural that are also quite dangerous to actually put into products. And so that's being one. But also, two, there are beautiful natural ingredients 
that certainly there's just not enough to go around. And as much as we love these ingredients, we are stripping the earth from its natural resources by only using natural ingredients. So if there is an ability to bring these natural ingredients and create safe synthetics um, through them, and we are respecting the environment and the world that we live in, so there's more for everyone, that is something that we have to consider, right? It's really more of the long-term game of are we hurting the environment or are we helping it, right? And so I think that's the biggest misconception that people have with clean fragrances and clean products just in general is that they have to use all natural for it to be the cleanest and the best. And that's actually not true. And so we think of it on kind of a bigger scale of how is this going to be impacting this generation, the next generation and the earth that we live in? Yeah, a great answer. And, you know, on the point of transparency, I think that something that's a little bit interesting that a lot of people don't really know about the fragrance industry is that the the problem with or the quote unquote problem with transparency isn't necessarily that the brand doesn't want to share stuff. Sometimes it's the fragrance house that um, is apprehensive about giving up, um, you know, various elements of the of the recipe, so to speak. Um, but you are very transparent with you know your your fragrances. So. Um, I have heard that that can sometimes be a challenge. Uh, was that for you guys? You know, uh, how how was it being so radically transparent in a world and in a part of the industry that is notoriously very tight-lipped? Yeah. So actually, that was one of the reasons why my business partner and I were so inclined to, to have Fleur in our portfolio and to acquire Fleur was because it wasn't our idea to be completely transparent. It was the brand that we that already existed that was actually in the very forefront of, they were probably the one of the first to just be so transparent in the fragrance world and list all the ingredients. And that's actually how they got on the map. They had built a very strong cult following because of this reason of just being super transparent. And it's something that you don't see often in the fragrance world. Um, and so that is why one of the reasons why we decided to acquire Fleur because we thought that was just brave and that is what not just brave but also what the next generation and this young generation is actually going to look at right I think my generation you know I'm 37 so 30 I guess 35 and up maybe um, we were kind of like, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist type of mentality, right? If I don't hear about it, it doesn't exist. And so it's almost like the, these marketing tactics that these brands used to have work for a time being for my generation and the generation before, because that's how it was marketed. So if it doesn't list it, then it probably is good for you, right? Um, but I think the consumer is so much smarter now. And I think the this generation actually cares what the putting onto their body and into their body. And so we just knew that if we were going to acquire a fragrance brand, it had to be transparent and it had to just be, um, you know, people knew what they were buying. Sure. Okay. So this question is a, is a new one that I've started asking. Um, but it is, what is your beauty hot take? 
Um, so, you know, this is an opinion that is maybe a little controversial or maybe against the status quo, but, you know, is something that you hold deeply. Do you have anything that comes to mind? So I get this question a lot because I think a lot of people in the beauty industry and also just consumers, especially young consumers, um, I just see them filling up their face with fillers and Botox at such a young age. And not saying that I don't get it. I do Botox and fillers as well, minimal. Um, but I, I started when I was in my early 30s, but I'm seeing on TikTok young girls at the age of 18 years old filling their face up because they want to have those Kylie Jenner lips or they want to have that lifted kind of um, cat eye look. So they'll fill their face or Botox their face so it looks like it's more lifted, whatever it is, right? And I always tell people because I have two daughters, um, this is advice that I would give them is that anything that you put in your body will not fully flush out. It's going to stay in there. Um, and so, again, I'm not against Botox and fillers. I do it myself. But you have to keep that in mind. If you're starting at 18 or 21 even, it's going to show up somewhere at some point, right? Um, and so I always tell people to tread lightly there. And don't just do it because all of a sudden your favorite celebrity has these lips or now like it's like what the vocal fat that everyone's trying to like remove. Um and I'm like, girl, like when you're, I'm 37, I'm almost in my 40s. I'm like, I need my fat on my face or else I'm going to look like I'm 50 years old, <laughs> you know, which is fine. Like, I'm not afraid of aging or looking older, but it's like, I think the young generation, they look at, and me too, I'm guilty of this because I was doing this when I was in college. Um, like I look at my favorite celebrities and I look at these pop culture icons and be like, I want to look like that. She got her buckle fat removed or she got her lips filled up. Like I need to go get that. But just keep in mind that it will show up somewhere, especially if you start very young. Yeah. It's, it really is. I find it scary how young it's starting. And I say that as somebody who like does not care what you do. You know, I really don't. I I haven't started that journey quite yet, but certainly like it's not off the table. Um, but I mean, it's just 19, 20, 21. It's just, it's too young to start. It's too young to start being that, you know, that like intense with, with anti-aging. You're not even old yet. You haven't even started aging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think my best beauty advice is instead of the now, um, which I know is very, very tempting. It's even tempting for me as well. It's still in my late 30s. Um, just really think about the long-term effect. Uh, one example is, and this is also very controversial. Um, I know a lot of people that are getting very thin from that new drug, the diabetes drug, um, Ozempic. Um, you know, I have friends that have lost... 15, 20 pounds by doing nothing but just taking this drug, right? Um, and of course, in the beginning, you're like, oh my God, that's, wow, that's so good for you and great. And like, you look amazing. And you say that you feel great. Like, I want to try that. And, and, I, and I say this because I'm just being super honest. I think everyone has kind of like that thought in their head of like, what if I tried it? Like, how would I feel? How would I look? You know? And so, so... When you get there, you always have to remember to con 
go back and be like, okay, but what are the risks here? Like, what what is the what is the payoff? Like, what's the payoff? What what's going to happen in the next year, two years, three years, five years? A lot of people don't know yet, right? And so, I think for anyone that's thinking about whether it's Botox, fillers, Ozempic, plastic surgery, whatever it is, getting your buccal fat removed, uh, really think about the long term. Um, and that's my my only advice that I have when it comes to beauty, uh, filling your face or doing plastic surgery is like, think about the long term before you actually go do it. Yeah, I think it's great advice. And, um, you know, you don't have to make decisions right away on all these things. You can take a beat and you can, you know, take a second and be like, have your moment, be mindful about it. You know, you don't have to jump into this stuff right away. You can take your time and make these decisions when you know, when it, when it feels a, a little more uh, appropriate or, you know, when you're more comfortable about it, you don't have to do these things the second you see it on Instagram. And making decisions when you're not confident with yourself, which is, we're all, we are all not confident in certain areas and portions of our life. But I think making uh, quick decisions when you're not feeling super confident, that might come from a dangerous place as well. I could not agree more with that sentiment. I really do think that, you know, um, a lot of these decisions are made from places that maybe are not the best. And um, that's not to say everybody makes those decisions from that place. Certainly not. But sometimes I, I think it is certainly a part of it. Um, so the last thing I want to ask you about is your own routine. Um, I'm going to start with the beauty routine, um, you know, so we can talk about your skincare, hair care, makeup, whatever must haves. And then, of course, I want to know what your favorite uh, Fleur fragrances that you're wearing right now are. Okay, amazing. So where should we start? Which category? We'll start with skincare. We'll start with the, yeah, that's an easy one to start with. <laughs> skincare. I do invest a lot of my time and money and effort into skincare more than makeup or other products because I think skin is, I mean, you only have one skin, so it's a reflection of, I guess, how well you're taking care of yourself internally and externally. So that's something I do put a lot of effort in. So with that said, um, once a year, Recently, I've been doing something called Soft Wave, which is a new device. It's not, it's not like a injection. It's more of, I don't even know. It's not a microcurrent. It's way stronger than a microcurrent. It's kind of like a what is that one? It's like radio frequency. It's maybe? like all therapy. Yeah, it's like all therapy. But so like even, it's an ultrasound therapy. Yes, yes. Um, but it actually hits a little bit not as deep it's more of the surface so you immediately it breaks your collagen so it rebuilds the collagen um so i do that once a year i've been doing it for the past three years and that actually has really changed the texture of my skin i have to say it's incredibly painful uh, for anyone that wants to look into it but it is incredibly effective as well um I always say no pain, no gain. So, um, and so that's kind of my once a year uh, treatment that I try to upkeep. 
as far as skin products go, I do have combination oily hormonal skin. So it's a mixture of being oily and breaking out, um, but also aging and having fine lines. And so it's a a balance of not drying out my skin too much um, because of the acne, but also moisturizing it. So I I feel like I finally have my routine down. I, I, whenever I'm not on these three products for my hormonal acne, um, I'd start breaking out again. But then I also use very moisturizing cream products to kind of balance that out. So the first product is uh, Biologique, the P50 toner. Um, I've been using that for years. And I always use that right after I wash my face. Um, I also have been using for many, many years, is clin- I don't know if it's is clinical or IS clinical, their active serum, uh, which also really kind of... Um, controls the oil production on my skin and then I also have something called um gosh what it's this one retinol that you could only get in France and I don't it's like it's like a, a letter I think it's like a313 or something it's like a, a letter and a few numbers but it's the most hydrating retinol that I've ever experienced. I actually found this on the internet because I do a lot of research about beauty products of like finding, I'm a sucker for like, Oh, things that you can't get in America. Um, and this retinol has been written about so many times that I had to try it out. And I've, I've had this retinol out for many years. And the minute that I get off of it, I feel my skin is my skin texture changes a little bit. So those are kind of like my three things that I, I do. Yeah, I'll get that from your team and I'll put it in the show notes for, their, for, for for folks. Sounds good. And then on the flip side, because that's all a little bit drying, right? Um, and again, I don't use all these products all at once. I'll like kind of, you know, feel out my skin to see how it is. And if it feels a little too dry, then I, I, I will kind of slow down on the retinol and then only use the, the active serum or whatnot. So I just kind of feel it out. And then as far as on... The really hydrating side for my skin, I've been using Colipo um, Bote's um, Synactive line, which is probably the most expensive moisturizer on the market. Um, you know, I do work with them. I just have to uh, disclose that I do work with them. So I am very, very lucky that I do get these products. But I think I would actually buy this this moisturizer once um, I run out because it's so moisturizing that as much of these like drying products that I put on for my acne, my skin never ever feels dry because of this moisturizer. Um, And so that's what I've been using as far as my skincare goes. Okay. Uh, Do you have any like makeup favorites? Makeup favorites. I have my makeup in front of me. What's in here? Um, I do use the... My favorite lip is by Make Beauty. They have this lip serum. So it's like very, very hydrating. I have very dry lips as well. Um, And it comes with like a fat brush. So it just kind of like feels really nice with the application. NARS Radiant cream concealer is my absolute go-to when I don't have time to do makeup or like foundation. There are days when I just don't want to wear foundation, quite frankly, because I do have oily skin. So anytime I do wear foundation, 
I usually can see it immediately afterwards. And so um, if I just need like a quick touch up in like certain areas, I'll just use the Radiant Cream Concealer. It's also a great under eye concealer as well. Um, that's one. I When I do use foundation, this is probably my go-to, which is Armani Luminous Silk. Um, it's a good one. It's, you know, it's a staple. It's one of those that you just have to have in your in your makeup wardrobe, I guess. Um, Dior Blush, is, this is like my go-to color. Uh, their Dior Backstage, yeah, Rosy Glow. Yeah, that's about it. Those are some good ones. All right, yeah. And then um, what are your favorite Fleur fragrances right now? <laughs> okay, so right now what I'm currently wearing is a fragrance that won't be released until the end of the year. And it's so incredible. Like, I'm just so excited about this fragrance. We had to actually reformulate it a few times to get it to where it's at but I'm wearing the final product and I just can't stop smelling myself I am so excited about this one. Oh, I'm so curious now I can't wait <laughs> I have to say this is probably hands on my favorite out of all of them oh my God. that's high praise <laughs> yes um, but I guess with the ones that um, are currently available um I, I would say my most worn is Apricot Privé. Um, it's a little bit more of a, a stronger scent. It's juicy, um, but it's it it's very it has a woody kind of base, so it's a nice juxtaposition. That's my most worn, and I, I feel the sexiest. And I just feel um, I don't know. It's like my going out fragrance as well. But I also wear it to work too. Like I'm I usually wear it to the office, um, so that's my most worn. Um, I have to say the next one is probably Tangerine Boy right now. Tangerine Boy is, um, the last launch that we just did. And it is by Jerome Epinette, who also created Apricot Privé. He's just the master at creating the most beautiful fruity and citrus fragrance without it being fruity and citrusy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like really unexpected. Yeah. A lot of people say that, that they were not expecting to like Tangerine Boy as much as they do because they usually don't gravitate towards citrus fragrance. But Tangerine Boy, again, has such a, a nice dry down that is not citrusy. So like it takes you on a journey and it it's so unexpected. And so that's been my, my next go-to after Apricot Privé. And then of course, Missing Person. I actually wear Missing Person a lot um, when I travel. And that's mainly because it's the lightest fragrance of our entire collection. Um, and it's the most universally appealing, I would say. Um, I don't like the word safe, but I think it's very well-rounded where there are lots of notes where most people like. And so I have to be careful. Like I, I, I like to be mindful of the people around me, because I know some people are more sensitive than others to fragrances, especially when you're in an enclosed place like a car, an airplane, a train, whatever it is. And because I am on a plane so much, like at least once a week, um, that usually my go-to fragrance is missing person when I travel. Okay. And then the last little bit is your well-being must-haves. Um, I, we don't have to get into all of them. I'm, but I just want to know, like, 
out of your core wellness routine, you know, what are the things that you absolutely have to stick to, whether it's nutrition or getting your eight hours of sleep in or hydration, you know, what, what are the core elements? Oh gosh. I just did this video of get to know me while I'm getting ready. And it was probably the most unhealthiest things that I've shared, which is like, I get like five hours of sleep on a good night. Like usually on an average is three hours. I hate drinking water. I hate vegetables. I, and that's just, I, I, it's not that I don't drink water. I just don't like drinking water, but I still force myself. And so people are like, how are you functioning? How are you alive right now? And I'm like, guys, I still drink water. I just don't like the taste of it. So anyways, um, my kind of go-to things that I do for well-being is one therapy. I'm a big believer in therapy. Um, you know, as I was going through my divorce, I don't think I was able to kind of navigate mentally how to get to a normal good state ever again. And I don't, I don't think I could have done that on my own. Maybe I could have, but it might have taken a lot longer. And so I think therapy is something we, we all live in our thoughts so much, right? we think these things and we never get to speak them out to the world. And I think just practicing that is just healthy for just the mind and just your well-being. And I think mental health is something that is probably the most important thing as far as well-being in general. So that's one. Two is my aura ring. This is the Gucci collaboration that they did. Um, that I'm wearing right now for those of you that can't see it's black and yeah, it's really chic. And so I wear my aura ring every single day because I am really bad about getting my snooze at night. Um, I just come alive at night and I love to like get creative and think of my ideas. I have two little girls. And so the, the minute that they go to bed, which is usually around 8 PM, that's when I'm like, okay, I could start working. I could start doing these things and these tasks and thinking about the next big project. And it's become a little unhealthy for me where I get too excited and I end up not sleeping. I sleep at like 3 a.m. and I have to wake up at 6 because that's when the girls wake up. And so the aura ring has really changed that for me because when you see your progress every single day and you can associate one morning, like the other morning I woke up and I was like, Oh my God, I feel amazing. Like, I just feel like I have so much energy. I haven't even had any coffee yet. I have like, I just feel alive. And I looked in my aura app and I'm like, of course I got like an 85 score because I slept for like eight hours. Right. Um, and then yesterday or not yesterday, day before yesterday, I couldn't even describe how I felt. I, I felt so crappy. And I was like, oh, God, like, I just, I don't know how I'm going to function today. I just feel so horrible. I just want to lay here and do nothing. Um, and it just felt so sluggish. And I look at my aura, aura app. And of course, it's because I got two and a half hours of sleep, right? And so when you're able to physically see it in your face every single day, you're, you're trying to chase that high of like, I want to feel good. I want to feel great again. How do I get that, that, that feeling? And so you want, you're being a little bit more intentional every single night to go to bed at a better hour. Um, and then you figure out like a routine, right? You're like, oh, when I did this, I felt better and I got better sleep or I was in REM mode for a longer period of time. And so you kind of, you're a lot more detailed and you think about the little things that you usually won't think about. 
Um, it's almost like if I read for 15 minutes before I go to sleep, I realize that my body is so much more relaxed and I'm able to easily go into more of like REM mode um, of the deep sleep. And, and so I now try to read at least for 15 minutes before I go to bed. And so I think this has really changed my lifestyle um, just in, in general. So I would say an aura ring and also Peloton because as much as I want to get to the gym and go to my Barry's bootcamp class, um, 80% of the time I just don't make it because of lack of sleep, kids, I know life happens, people need deadline or having deadlines last minute. And I make it a point to sweat for 30 minutes, no matter what I'm doing or how busy I am. And so whether it's in the morning or in the evening, I always use the Peloton at least once a day. And that's really kind of helped me get that that sweat and that that heartbeat up. Yeah. Well, I know you started that answer with saying that, <laughs> you know, you had some unhealthy habits, but I think what you just mentioned are pretty great habits that, you know, therapy, getting, you know, tracking your sleep or trying to be better about it and getting 30 minutes of sweat in. I mean, I, I think I think that's pretty good. I, I think you should give yourself a little bit more credit. <laughs> thank you. I try. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so interesting to hear about your creative process and do, you know, hear about all of the amazing work that goes into these fragrances and just, you know, some insights into the fragrance world and, you know, how, how we're all using fragrance nowadays in our lives. Cause it is such a core part of, I believe the beauty experience and even the human experience. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had the best time chatting with you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights, or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.